This week's podcast proudly brought to you by Kent Cartridge. See, I made the mistake of buying the cheapest shot shells I could find when I first started duck hunting, and I would literally I'd watch feathers fly off of birds as they gave me a middle finger and flew off unscathed. That's when I switched over to Kent, and I was bartending and waiting tables at the time in college, and money was tight, but Kent offered me a great product at a fair price, and I've never looked back. Of course, now we have uh, Fast Steel 2.0. They just released Fast Steel Plus for this upcoming season, and with Dove season on the horizon, we've got Steel Dove, and then Teal Steel for early teal season. Whatever your shotgunning needs are for this fall, Kent has you covered. You can find all of their products at Kent Cartridge. This week's show brought to you by Ducks Unlimited, an organization that I've been plugged into for, gosh, over 15 years now. From the Alaskan wilderness to the Atlantic Flyway, across America's Great Plains, and down the Mississippi Delta, Ducks Unlimited has been leading the way in wetlands conservation since 1937. The DU family has ensured the protection of over 16 million acres of waterfowl habitat. Think about that. So, come join us. You too can carry on DU's conservation legacy. Visit ducks.org to find your local event and join our volunteer team, Ducks Unlimited, the world's leader in wetlands conservation. I'm leaving Santa Lone Star. Hey Santa, thanks for working so hard. Hey Santa, I know you travel so far. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Cable Smith welcoming everybody into episode 704 of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thank you so much for being here. Merry Christmas to you and yours. Um, We've got a great show lined up for you today. But first, man, I got to tell you, and you all know that I rag on that 6.5 Creedmoor. I have one. I have one. I I shoot pigs and coyotes with it. Um, But... I got the 6.5 PRC. That's like the 6.5 on steroids. Got that thing dialed in for a Mexico coos deer hunt next week. I love this rifle. And it might have a lot to do with that uh, Mossberg Patriot long-range tactical setup. Uh, that's the model I've got. But, dude, there's no recoil. Not that a 140-grain bullet generally recoils a lot. Anyway, it is smooth. It is It's just a, a joy to shoot. And that thing is a flat shooter that carries way more kinetic energy at distance than the 6.5 Creedmoor. So, uh, and some somebody was like, well, why didn't you get a, a 7 PRC? And I'm like, well, that's next. But a 7 PRC might just saw a coos deer in half. I mean, that's a, a, small, a small deer species. So, anyway, uh, I'm enjoying that. We'll see how the hunt plays out. I'll report back on that next week. Um, What are we doing today? Well, let me tell you. You know what to do. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of that Black Rifle coffee out of Granddaddy's beat-up old Stanley Thermos because we are ready to rock and roll. And joining us for the duration, two of my favorite folks from Vortex Optics, Mark Boardman and Ryan Muckenhern will be here. Uh, They host the popular Cartridge Talks series that uh, Vortex puts out. And so the guys recently did uh, an episode where they compared the pros and cons of two of the more popular straight-walled cartridge options that are available in the form of the 350 Legend and 450 Bushmaster. 
So we'll discuss the, the straight-walled cartridge seasons that have become popular in a lot of Midwestern states, really, or places that are more urban. Uh, these bullets are designed to do specific things and so uh, are thought to be safer in those urban settings. So anyway, Mark and Ryan will be here to discuss what they discovered uh, in that episode and how they were able to, or how they gauged each caliber's and specific bullet's performance. And I'm not sure if y'all remember, but when we had on uh, Riley Brewer, the young lady that killed the 230-something-odd-inch buck at the, um, what was it, the uh, Red River Army Depot, that oh, just a behemoth of a whitetail, uh, she killed that with a 350 Legend because that uh, Army base only allowed for straight-walled cartridges. So just a little context there as something that uh, came up recently on one of our shows. So that's what we are going to do today. I'm looking forward to it. Always enjoy learning more about various cartridges and their uh, expected performance. Um, let's see. Well, since the guys from Vortex are going to be on today, let's do a Vortex giveaway. And I think we'll do the 65 by 32 Bantam HD Youth Binocular. Uh, this is what the girls... Uh, Henry actually has... He has uh, an adult size bino, which he loves. But the Twinkies each have the Bantam HD. Absolutely love it. When I gave it to them, they were like, seriously? They have a, a real bino for me? Because they've been using some $25 thing that I ordered off Amazon when they were little girls. Now that they are nine, well, they're certainly little girls to me still. But uh, they have this Bantam, which Vortex designed specifically for them. So we're going to give one away today. Perfect gift for that young hunter in your life this holiday season uh just email the word bantam that's bantam to lone star outdoor show at gmail.com and you are entered into today's vortex giveaway up next we're talking straight walled cartridges right here on the lone star outdoor show don't leave me hanging out online don't leave me hanging out In the market for a compact track loader, check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at one of our nine North Texas locations. Visit BobcatOfNorthTexas.com or call 469-586-0000 today. The stars are pining, take a look outside The sun is shining, it's good to be alive Take another breath, then find the song to sing One of my favorites there lay from Buffalo Ruckus, Lay Your Love On Me Bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you. Thanks for dropping by today, as we are all set to talk straight-walled cartridges with Vortex Optics, Ryan Muckenhern and Mark Boardman. This segment of the show is brought to you by SCI, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. You've heard me talk about it, but I don't know why you haven't signed up yet because if you're not a member of SCI 
What are you waiting for? There is no group that does more to protect your rights as a sportsman or woman than SCI, both domestically and internationally. And here's the cool thing. Right now, if you sign up or renew your membership and use that promo code CABLE23, you are automatically entered into a drawing for a chance to join me on a one-of-a-kind duck hunt down at the famed Pipkin Ranch on the Texas coast. And it's going to be two hunts. That's two days, two nights lodging, food, drinks, the whole shebang. You get to bring a buddy, so it's for two hunters. Bring your girlfriend, your wife, whoever. Bring your kiddo. Uh, but, yes, a two-man duck hunt. We're giving away. All you need to do is just join or renew your SCI membership. Cable23 is the code, and you can enter at safariclub.org. And with that being said, let's get into it right now. Joining us from Wisconsin at Vortex HQ, it is my pleasure to welcome Mark Boardman and Ryan Muckenhern back to the show. Appreciate it, Cable Man. It's always always good to see you. Good to see your face, even if it's digital. Yeah, likewise, likewise. Y'all were giving me crap a second ago off the air, though, saying that I shot a fawn. But have you guys ever come to Texas and done a little access to your hunting for real? No. I haven't. Um, I hunted Hawaii one time and uh-huh. got uh, got a buck and actually a, a fawn. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they, they look at them a little differently in Hawaii. They're kind of a nuisance there. I mean, you're you're uh, the landscape can only support so much. That's for sure. So, but uh, boy, they are uh, a great tasting critter. That's for sure. No, I was just I was just giving you a hard time because I saw that you had that hide on the back of your seat there. Yeah, Ryan? actually, I have I have one in my freezer that I need to get tanned. I still haven't done that yet. Oh, beautiful! Mark. Obviously, yeah. You can put it in the pile of your bear rugs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I went over to Mark's house one time. He's got a, a taxidermy room. This was at his old place. And um, there's a pile of giant whitetails. And uh, like a st- it was like when you go to the um, fabric store and you go to like pick out fabric to make like a blanket or something. Uh-huh. Every color phase of bear, seemingly. At, as per usual, Ryan exaggerates. I've shot a handful of deer. I, do, I did have a... Every one of them was on the ground. A bear rug problem there for a little bit where like I shot my first bear. So I was like, which I took me a while to do. I'm, um, and I uh, shot it out west with my dad. And so I was like, well, I have to get that one rugged. I mean, here's and, the solution to your problem. Oh, yeah, I don't think the full body's going to happen at our place. <laughs> uh, but then I shot a big one. And then I was like, well, then I have to get a rug on that. Then I shot a color face bear. And yes, I was like, well, I then I have to one. get a rug on that. Yeah. And then I kind of got into this collect them all thing, but I still, that's actually, I've never shot another color phase bear. So I, but you can't, I can't not, uh, then I mm, no, you feel you so guilty about, um, like not using the heights. And then I, I've been soft tanning. I've only shot five bears in my life. So I'm acting like I've shot like a bazillion bears. I haven't, but I got into soft tanning whitetails now. When'd you do that? I got a little collection at home. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Have you shot a bear, Ryan? No, I've gone bear hunting exactly twice. Um, Never, I, I shouldn't say that. I had an opportunity at a very small example of a, of a black bear. Um, the the second hunt was a really cool hunt in a very remote part of Minnesota where you can't you can't bait in the conventional way that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and never did see a bear. Saw a tremendous amount of bear sign. I really want to get back and do that hunt, and I'd like to do a western bear hunt. That would be fun. That'd be kind of fun. That'd be a hoot. Yeah. It takes well, I, it takes like ten to twelve years to get a bear tag in Wisconsin. Sometimes longer. Yes. 
takes a very long time to get a, a, a really banger tag here. So it's, it's tough. That. Yeah. We have, uh, to my understanding, we have a lot of bears. Tremendous here. amount of bears. We have a, a, a very healthy population. Yeah. Like you said, it's on a draw. There's no spring hunt. Mm-hmm. Now I'm, I'm airing all my Wisconsin bear grievances yeah. here, mm-hmm. but no spring hunt. It's on a draw. I just, I feel like it could sustain a little bit more hunter harvest. Oh, undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. Yeah. yeah. So we can travel two hours north of here and be in, in, into a bear zone, like a huntable zone. And that zone, you can get a tag in two years. But it, the the quality and the number of bears um, is dramatically different, and I still believe it's good two hours north here. But compared to the northern part of the state, where it takes ten, twelve, sometimes fourteen years to get a tag, um, you know, there it's you stand a chance of shooting a really big one and and probably seeing quite a few of them. So one of my guys just pulled, I believe, after thirteen years. Um, Clay Clay went up. What is the average? So like in a trophy unit. <clears throat> In Wisconsin, what would you say the average weight of a big boar is? Because these things fluctuate so much just based on where they where they live and what they eat. Like the North Carolina people shoot seven hundred pound bears. Yeah, hibernate. Right. Um, that would be atypical. Um, I think I think Clay's bear was in the low twos. Uh, okay. I think a, like a big bear. People start talking about he got a big bear in, in the threes. Okay up here but uh there, every year some there was a young lady who killed one a couple years ago that wouldn't six it could be I, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibilities there's definitely you know like those i guess in some ways you'd call them an outlier but i don't think i wouldn't call because it, it's not uncommon yeah. to get you know a bear like in the fours i mm-hmm. don't think but sure. like like ryan said i think a lot of you know 150 to you know 300 pound bears is probably what most but people you've are seen the uh, the ones that i think florida had that season for like two consecutive years it might have just been one and they reached the quota very quickly mm-hmm. and then the animal rights activists threw a fit and got it shut mm-hmm. down but they were killing like six seven hundred pound bears in florida yeah. just because hey they eat all year they don't ever hibernate and then they yeah. don't lose all that and that's the real thing is like the bears put on all this weight so that they can sleep through the winter well they put on all the weight and then the weight just stays there because they don't ever burn it up there's not really a winter yeah so um well, that's cool. And I would feel bad too if I shot a bear, I think, and didn't, I mean, I have more, I think I've killed four or five and I have rugs from four of them. I think there right. was one that I did donated said, yeah, you can have that, but uh, I don't need that many, but I'm, but I want them. Like, I don't, what, what am I going to do? You don't want to throw it. There. It's yeah, it's, it's too cool. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so how have y'all's fall uh, deer seasons been, or I don't know if you guys, I know Mark, you've, you like to go to a, uh, where is it? You go to Alaska usually? Chase blacktails? Um, I've done that a couple times. I've, I've done, that's a phenomenal hunt. Um, I didn't get to Alaska this fall. Um, boy, I try to get up there like, you know, every other year, you know, at least every few years. Um, but I'm trying to think. This fall, I uh, went back to home state of Washington, did an alpine bear hunt there. Oh, came just incredibly so incredibly close with a buddy of mine like three times like i just needed five to ten more seconds on three different bears hmm. um uh we lost three days to weather just fogged and raining and rained and in fact we you know got in reached out got a weather report and we're like it's not going to change i mean you couldn't see 20 yards so we bombed out fished for a couple days hiked back in the night before i had to leave in the rain and the fog uh couldn't see anything that night and then i was flying out at like midnight 
the next mm. day. So uh, we got up the next morning. It broke clear. We, uh, we were back in a, a different area, spotted a bear, God, a really nice chocolate board, like right at 500. But the berries were, we thought we were going to time it perfectly and we're just a little bit late. The berries were fried up high. Um, the ones that were left were kind of intermingled in the, in, in, I guess what I would call like these, you know, al- alpine bottoms that had a little bit more shade. And I think they were, you know, keeping the berries. So the berries were down there, but just the, the shooting lanes and just, you know, pockets of berries where you might see a bear were really limited. They're really tight. So we'd spot these bears and they just, they weren't staying put. So, uh, yeah, that last morning we spotted that bear at 500. I kind of ran up the ridge, stacked a couple packs, built a shooting position, but just he he drifted off into the trees and just like almost acted like he was going to come out again, and then he didn't. So, mm. but it was a great hunt. I mean, that's uh, uh, the alpine really anywhere is just. I've only hunted it probably one, two, three, four times. Um, but man, that's just neat country though. I really yeah. enjoy it. And so I did that hunt Montana, a uh, little film project that we did internally shot um a four-point bull and a little whitetail so that was cool yeah uh, so far have blanked on whitetails here in wisconsin despite my best efforts rifle season is in nice yeah what, what about you ryan so i've had a pretty slow fall i suppose late august i was out uh chasing pronghorn with my bow um tremendous amount of opportunity saw hundreds of goats um clipped on i think three times never drew back put 36 miles on foot in three Mm. days and drank uh between me and my my uh partner we drank 13 and a half gallons of water it was 97 Mm. degrees out during the day and it was in the low 80s at night so it was it was a sultry hunt um went to wyoming then in october killed uh my best pronghorn uh coincidentally at archery distance 58 yards so (laughs) (laughs) and uh and yeah it would have been the greatest bow shot of all time um from where he was and and how it all played out and uh other than that i didn't have any mule deer tags this fall Uh, i didn't run back home to hunt deer Um, their season shut down would have been last week that's when their rifle shuts down yeah so do you guys have center fire no, not in, not where I'm from. In the northern part of the state, they do, but okay. where, where I'm from, it's shotgun, muzzleloader. But pistol. remind everyone where you're from. Uh, Central Minnesota. Right. Yeah, and uh, so that that uh, that eclipse, I never got back uh, to do that hunt, and I may go with the muzzleloader, which is is later in the year, uh, but we'll just see what happens. It, we're so busy here this time of year, mm-hmm. um, with folks coming in, uh, trying to get set up for for their hunts. That uh, it's, it's kind of tricky to get away, I suppose, and. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, showroom's been hopping, phone lines have been hopping. It's been fun, very stimulating. Amazing facility you guys have there. In, yeah, God, I can't remember the name of the town. Why is uh, Barneveld? Barneveld, that's right. Yeah, yeah. How many calls did you guys answer last week? Last week was we answered two thousand five hundred and forty nine between the eleven of us, and actually we were short staffed the whole week because it was rut and everybody was out bow hunting. So, <laughs> so I think I, I think um, our our most staffed day was eight um eight out of 11 and uh, so we, oh, wow. we pulled out uh, 2549 calls i haven't i haven't called this season but i mean just to give people an idea of the customer service level like i've been at the range before i mean like i do i'm doing something wrong it's operator error i can't figure it out just call headquarters someone answer the phone and they just walk you through it yeah and, you know that uh, you can't beat that as far as uh, you know the commitment to helping people get ready 
this time of year, especially because God knows we all procrastinate. It's like, oh, I got this hunt coming up in tomorrow. What I got? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it, it, you know, this time of year we're running a lot of ballistic solutions and and uh, walking people through turret functionality and reticle mm-hmm. functionality and and all these things. And um, you know, and there's a January one hits and then it's very quiet. And then mm-hmm. spring turkey starts up again, and we're we're back to doing the same thing. It's just red dots on shotguns at that point in time. So, mm-hmm. so what did you shoot the pronghorn with? Uh, I shot it with a six five Creedmoor, uh, one hundred and twenty seven grain Barnes LRX. Like I said, whopping fifty eight yards. Uh, yeah. So nothing nothing remarkable from a terminal performance study. Um, I also brought a three hundred eight out there, and a nice little sixteen inch Dika that I I kind of hobbled together, and I was really hoping to shoot something with that because i had a one to six on there and i thought that would make a good discussion piece to mm-hmm. shoot a western species with a, a short for caliber barreled rifle and um with an unconventional optic but i ended up it could never work right? no i know i yeah. killed my pronghorn on the first day <laughs> so uh yeah and uh that was, that was a great trip that's a i've been going to that same place for uh what this is my 13th year out mm-hmm. there i think so and this was in wyoming yep yep central wyoming so I have, I think I have five pronghorn, maybe six pronghorn points in sure. Wyoming. So how, I mean, I should be getting close to just like getting a pretty decent year. Well, so yeah, I mean, statistically speaking, yes, you, you could probably pull a pretty great tag. However, they had a horrible winter mm. um, this, this last winter. And I'm fortunate to place That's it. Right. That, yeah, that where I hunt, we're pretty well sheltered from that. They actually had a, a relatively mild winter. It was cold, but they didn't get pummeled with snow. And then they had a phenomenal spring. Um, and, and we were hunting pronghorn and grass that was like chest to neck high, which oh, wow. is, is is extremely atypical. Boy, that's crazy. It was wild. Um, I mean, it was, it was like, it was bizarre. And when you can see pronghorn moving, but all you can see is the tops of, <laughs> of their horn. Uh-huh. Um, and then there's some short grass stuff where it's been grazed, but so the the challenge right now that I think a lot of people that have uh, you know a, a pretty tall point stack for Wyoming specifically for pronghorn is with the winter kill as tough as it was you know there was a dramatic reduction in tag uh, availability for the major I would say the majority of the state and now you're kind of in a situation where it's like okay how bad was that winter kill how detrimental will that be to finding an animal that i've waited for a half a decade or in mark's case what are you, what are you sitting on 30 45 points Something no like i don't know I've, <laughs> I've got i've got too many and i really wish i would have burnt them before last year yeah and well, so they do the same thing with mule deer tags too didn't they have to do some, yeah yeah some units saw a reduction um yeah. for sure yeah and then it was a very tough winter out there heavy yeah, heavy they, snowfall they have to do it i mean what yeah you protect, oh for sure absolutely and so it might be a situation in which your your play is to actually hold off. Mm-hmm. You know, usually you're going to see a, a pronghorn go from fawn to uh, a, a pretty high caliber buck in about three and a half years, four years. Um, so, you know, maybe you sit on them a little bit longer or you, you focus on a unit that, um, mm. you know, gives you good opportunity. And yeah. well, I've, got a, I've got pronghorn points in Montana, sure. Colorado, too. So I'm not itching to do it, but considering that winter kill. Yeah, probably hold off. Um, yeah, it's cool. tough. It's a tough spot. Well, now that we've talked a little bit about what we've all been up to, uh, let's knock out a break. We'll come back and get into what I really want to discuss today, which are the uh, straight wall cartridges that you guys just reviewed, the 350 Legend and the 450 Bushmaster. Uh, we'll do that next. That segment brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. 
Check out their entire lineup at allseasonsfeeders.com. That's where you'll find the Big Chingone, Henry and I's favorite among all of their other great products. We'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. So I got my daddy's name stitched across my chest And now I can drop a man from about two clicks Let me tell you about the Armorsight 640 contractor. It is the industry-leading thermal technology and a very user-friendly rifle scope. A 640 Armor Core 12 Micro made in the USA Thermal Core. It's got a four-hour onboard recording, four-hour runtime on a full charge, USB and Wi-Fi streaming, uh, eight user-selectable reticles and six-color palettes, and the most user-friendly interface out there because you're operating these things in the dark. So uh, that's very important. You can find the contractor, the 640, or its little brother, the 320, right there at armorsite.com. Looking for a thermal hog hunt near DFW? Then Three Curl Outfitters has you covered. Offering fully guided thermal hunts just minutes south of Dallas, guide scout daily to put you on the bacon. Using thermal imaging technology to hunt feeders, crop fields, and river bottoms, you get unlimited hogs and no kill fees. Visit www.3curl.com. Also offering corporate hunts and food and lodging available by request. Book at 3curl.com or call 214-455-0940. Baby, you got what I need and nothing else to do. JB and Moonshine Band bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you. We've still got the guys from Vortex Optics, Mark Boardman and Ryan Muckenhern here with us. About to talk some straight-walled cartridges, but first, this segment of the show is proudly brought to you by Big and J Whitetail Attractants and my friends Josh and Becky Gunther over at Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. Uh, you can find all of their work and multiple locations on where to drop off your trophy at gr8mounts.com. And without further ado, let's get into the 350 Legend versus the 450 Bushmaster with Vortex's Mark Boardman and Ryan Muckenhern. I, I have a 350 Legend. I have some of the ammunition here. It's a... Uh... It is a 350 Legend 165 grain Hornady right here. Yeah. I haven't actually ever shot an animal with it. Mm-hmm. I haven't had to, I guess, because I think for me, like, there's a lot of states that that have the straight wall cartridge rifle seasons that don't generally have a, a you know general gun season. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk a little bit about that um, in a second. But first of all. Which one of you represented which caliber? So I shot the three fifty legend. How did y'all decide? Somewhat How do you guys arbitrary. usually decide that? Do you do you pick or do you draw straws or just be like How do do we even get to decide or do they just say you're shooting this one? <laughs> I think there's a combination of that but I think I was actually really curious about the three fifty sure. legend, so I said I want to shoot that one. That could and be you were probably indifferent and didn't care. That fits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well neither of these cartridges are neither of them are very old uh no the uh 450 bushmaster i think has been out since like uh 2009 
and the uh, 350 Legend. I don't know, Mark. Do you know the history of the 350 Legend? Oh, gosh. When we were really looking at them, I would have uh, remembered that. But this thing came out, what? Been like four years ago. Something like that. Well, yeah. Actually, one of, one of our engineers was a uh, lead on the project. Oh, really? Yeah. It was just kind of oh. cool. Um, just happened to work out that way. Uh, no, so that, that cartridge is very much very much in its infancy. I, re- I remember when the 450 came out, I was still selling guns yeah. at that time. And uh, Bushmaster was the first to market with it, mm-hmm. naturally. And um, they had a chambered course in ARs. And, you know, it was uh, – I would say it was a, a solution to a problem that didn't necessarily exist, at least for us in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everybody who was hunting in the in the you know rifle zone using higher caliber center fires like 308 and 270 and 06 and that. Um, and then of course it was you couldn't hunt deer with it in the slug zone um, because it was a center fire cartridge. And the straight wall thing really wasn't on scene, at least to my knowledge at, at that point in time. Like I said, that was the, the mid to latter part of the 2000s. And it, I remember it being marketed as a stellar pig round. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, sure. Yeah, it would absolutely be that. Um, and, and they were encapsulating 4570 ballistics into an AR platform. And so I thought, okay, pigs and, and you know, black bear, it'd be a fine option for that. But really lost a lot of steam um, and, and almost just evaporated at that point. And then straight wall season started coming out and that thing jumped back to the front of the line. Um, it was surprisingly even more so than, than say the 4570. And I think that's in part two reasons. Um, you could put it in an AR and a lot of folks had AR. So all you had to do is buy right. an upper um, and then you could get it in a Ruger American. And I, I think that I think they're if it if it'll fit in a Ruger American, it's destined to do pretty good. Mm. So, mm. Yeah. so yeah. So then I just looked the the three fifty legend came out in two thousand nineteen. So sure. like yeah, you said about four yeah. years. Yeah. yeah, and here we are. Um, so I look, this, that's what I was doing as well. Kibble's like, oh, it's really oh. bothering me that I don't know that date. So I was <laughs> on my Mark phone. So out, yeah. I concur. Twenty nineteen. Yeah. Uh huh. Talk about the straight wall cartridge design. When it, and how that's different from you know what like you said the centerfire the the traditional deer hunting rifles it's not new no um it's way not new like let's i'll say the kind of first big one on scene as as super commercially viable and and um everybody is very familiar with is 4570 mm-hmm. and so we go back to like 1871 um and then really when we look at metallic cartridges in general they were all straight walled um, and then we started seeing bottlenecking and pistol cartridges. And then 3030 wasn't the first bottleneck cartridge, but it was, it was one of the, I think, most resoundingly successful commercial bottleneck cartridge. And then also a smokeless cartridge. Hmm. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't adhering to black powder for, for use. Um, but so when we say straight walled, like you think of, think of the, uh, you know, so quintessential. seventy was the, the the first one that people are going to be familiar with. Like yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it, I mean, yeah. Yeah. And so 4570, 1871. So we go, we go back a ways there. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so when you think of like, when we're trying to describe the, the differences to somebody who's not looking at a picture, like you, you picture a 308 Winchester or a 223 Remington or a 65 Creedmoor. Um, and you have that, that characteristic body shape of the cartridge where you have the case, the shoulder, the neck, the bullet, mm-hmm. And these are referred to as bottlenecked rifle cartridges. A straight wall, conversely, will 
have just the case that terminates into a bullet. And a, and a couple of examples that would, would be really familiar and kind of front of center in mind would be like 4570, for instance, 44 Magnum, 357 Remington, um, things like that, right? They're you know what usually, they look like? They just, to give like a really good description, they just look like pistol rounds. Yeah, like a just big pistol bigger. round. Yes. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. So the cartoon drawing of a of a cartridge for right. many, right? Yeah. 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 Did you guys have predictions? Uh, and folks can obviously watch the, the cartridge talks to, to get more insight. But what did you think you were going to find when comparing the two? So I read the honest? room. Yeah, I read the room totally wrong. I, I had this upside down. I said the 350 was going to just peter out. And I thought it was going to be, I don't know why I thought this, but it, it was reminiscent to me of a, a 30 carbine, which was a foolish assessment that I made. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the 450 certainly excels in a couple of different places, but the three, For sure. yeah, the 350, I had to eat my hat on that cartridge, man, because it, comparatively, just shooting them, um, the two of them, and I and I'm I'm not averse to recoil, and I, I've got some pretty high recoiling guns, and have done a fair amount of shooting with big stuff, um, but if I can avoid it, I prefer it, and the 350 was just delightful to shoot. I mean, it was not dissimilar from a 223 in in the mm. gun that we were operating which happened to be a ruger american i mean it was very pleasant to to fire and it performed far above what i had expected far above in 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 shootability in accuracy the ability to just maintain a group honestly um the terminal performance that we saw out of it was exceptional um with both the the solid copper design and the the cup and core design um the drop and drift characteristics of the 350 are improved over the 450. It's a flatter shooting cartridge. Neither of them are what I would consider a long range cartridge, but you know, by so where do they lose their lethality when, when you say what they peter out faster, right? Which is why we can use them yeah. in a lot of these situations where we don't have a general gun season, but we have black powder and slug season. So why not open up the straight wall? Yeah. Uh, I think if I was going to draw a line in the sand personally, I'd say between 200 and 250 yards. And did one of them outperform the other at that distance? The 350 will crawl a little bit further because um, uh-huh. it's a little bit faster, a little bit flatter, mm-hmm. um, higher ballistic coefficient on the projectile, so it's less susceptible to wind drift. But I mean, those understand those numbers are a two dimensional representation of what's actually happening. When, when we start, looking at what does it take to make a bullet expand and function mm-hmm. um we, we've shed so much velocity at that point in time that we're we're starting to toe the line and, and hit the threshold of of reasonable expectation of function out of the projectile and so for me if if i was kitten up with one I, i'd say it's a stellar 200 yard and in option and then on on an ideal scenario you know perhaps pushing it a little bit further Okay, so that's pretty consistent with my CVA muzzleloader. Like uh, inside 200 yards, okay. You know, 150 and in really is ideal. Um, let's do this. Let's take a break. I want to come back and discuss what bullet you guys chose and why, and then how you gauged performance in this experiment. Uh, that segment was brought to you by the Mossberg Patriot. Whether you're looking for a 350 Legend, you know, straight walled cartridge, or a Prairie Dog Plinker and 22250 on up to uh, a Cape Buffalo gun, like a 375 Ruger. 
They've got it all. Everything in between that spectrum, you can find what you're looking for and pick out a beautiful walnut stock or, uh, you know, if, you, if you're going to beat it up like I do, maybe you want to go synthetic. Uh, but the Patriot is American built. It's rugged and it's reliable. And you can find it at Mossberg.com. We'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. To the sound. Machinery running like a heartbeat drives a man. The stillness of remembering what you had. Some say a silenced gunshot is the baddest sound out there. At Silencer Central, we have another favorite. It's the sound of silence delivered to your front door. When you buy from Silencer Central, we handle your application, set you up with a free NFA gun trust, and deliver your silencer straight to you. With an average 90-day turnaround time when you use e-forms, buying a silencer is simpler than ever. Visit silencercentral.com and we'll help you get started. Turnpike Troubadours bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you. Thanks for dropping by today. This segment of the presentation brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee. Veteran owned and operated. Uh, Not only do they have the brew for you, whether you like a light, medium, or dark roast, they've also got all of that awesome, unapologetically American and patriotic swag, which I love. You can find all of it right there at BlackRifleCoffee.com. Use that promo code LONESTAR10. Save 10% off your entire order. Let's pick it back up with Mark Boardman and Ryan Muckenhern of Vortex Optics. We're comparing the 350 Legend and the 450 Bushmaster. Mark, what bullet did you choose for the 350 Legend and this experiment? So in the uh, in the 350, they're 170s. So both the options here, one is the Hornady American Whitetail. It's a 170, and then the other is the the Barnes uh, Vortex, and that's a that's a 170 grainer as well. Let me let me check my math on the box here, Ryan. But I think I'm correct on that. You are. You are in fact. Um, and there's no question. You look at that 450 Bushmaster. I mean, that thing is slinging in an absolute pumpkin out yeah. there, right? I mean, it's- that that is a big chunk of metal uh you're sending down range or into that animal and 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 there's i don't think you can argue that that's going to have uh a terminal effect yeah but like you said ryan i mean the 350 legend just seems to be optimized in so many ways it's faster it's flatter 170 grains is nothing to turn your nose up that no, as far right. as you know a, a, a bullet weight um uh so did you guys see that huge deer that the young lady shot in texas the massive I think, one i think i probably saw it on your instagram yeah well i mean outdoor life has shared picture i mean it's been everywhere yeah she shot that with a 350 legend because it the army base she shot it at it was you know straight walled only for rifles sure, sure. yeah yeah so that was yeah. that was pretty cool because i didn't even know we we had straight walled restrictions, I mean, on certain places in Texas. So mm-hmm. yeah. that's interesting. It, it probably sounds, if I was to speculate, it was like, you know, an art possibly like, you know, an archery shotgun muzzleloader type zone. And yep. then 
yeah. kind of like with this current evolution of rolling straight wall cartridges into those types of areas or seasons this or zones. This is their first season with the with the straight wall before. With, no okay. The things you just said, the primitive yep. weapons. Yeah. Yep. So. Yeah. That's cool. Um, what, Ryan, what grain and bullet did you choose for the 450 Bushmaster? 250 and 245, respectively. So the uh, 250 is the Barnes Vortex. There again, solid copper design of the 245s and the American Whitetail. Uh-huh. Um, and so, like, I would call that interchangeable or close enough, rather. For so, so, I haven't shot a 450 Bushmaster, but I have shot my buddy's 4570. Mm-hmm. And we were pig hunting in the afternoon, and he, he shows up with this, you know, old Western. Uh, yeah. style 4570 i looked at those bolts and i was like good lord i i don't know what grain they were but i was like that's pretty stout and now you're, you're talking about 250 grains right here uh, yeah so 4570 usually starts at about 250 grains and then they'll they'll go off from there the uh original loading was a 405 grain goodness uh, gracious yeah but it was you know it was by standards fairly anemic it was 405 grains at about 1100 to 1200 feet per second and yeah. and when i'm shooting loads like that out of my 4570 those are like my fun recreation practice loads they they don't have a they're very mild to shoot you know my, my 110 pound girlfriend will get behind my 1885 high wall and she'll shoot those and yeah. you know they're they're a hoot to shoot but uh when you when you spice them up and like this what this is spicy i mean they're very they're they're moving along they're a 2200 and change uh, foot per second application with a 250 grain projectile. I mean, they're, they're, they mean business. Um, in that little lightweight Ruger American, it's a handful. I mean, you're, you're off the target at the shot. And I think that's in part why I I really actually fell in love with that 350 legend because it was, it was just delightful. And this was pretty punishing. Right. Uh, And how, how does that one specifically, you said the 350 legend outperforms at distance. I mean, what is the drop at like 150 yards? It's it's pretty significant. So, you know, the the two of them express a lot more drop than we'd be considering like a a 308 or 6.5 Creedmoor or something like that. You know, at at 100 yards zero with a 450, for instance, at 200 yards, it's almost 10 inches of drop. Hmm. And and so Mm -hmm. it's not flat by any means, right? I mean, you're like basically shooting a muscle loader at that point oh yeah absolutely absolutely right no that's a a very very good um kind of comparison there it's if you have a modern inline muzzle loader and you're shooting a stouter charge weight and and 2100 feet per second would be a a pretty stout charge weight out of a a modern inline um and you're shooting a, a comparably weighted bullet 250 grain projectile or thereabouts um yeah it's it it shows you know yeah uh, so fair amount of drop on there and and the the 350 better but but i don't want to inspire that it's like super flat because it's not it's right. not i don't think you this you take this one out pronghorn hunting and feel good at 350 <laughs> yards uh-huh. per se but okay. yeah this one <clears throat> these 170s out of uh the barns loading at at 200 or saying you know minus 10.1 and then at 300 yards 37.5 yeah right wow so they they chew up they chew up a lot of airspace um pretty quick Uh you know but when we look at what their intended use is right so as you hit on earlier generally speaking the states that are allowing these or the regions or the very specific game management units or zones that you're going to see these cartridges often utilized in are uh places where they're trying to limit the range that these projectiles are going to travel so where i'm from the central part of minnesota 
there's a interstate 94 effectively cuts a state in half at a 45 degree angle anything south of 94 uh, is the quote slug zone as they call it and so we can shoot shotgun slugs we can shoot a muzzle loader we can shoot a handgun um you're in a a mix of agriculture and and kind of urban sprawl in that area and the the idea or the thought process is we don't want you know high caliber centerfire rifle rounds traveling to the next county uh and ending up in in somebody's bathroom um, these cartridges because they do have a limited range application fit that bill perfectly right they're they're a rather limited distance um tool for that job mm-hmm. but nonetheless super effective super effective for mm-hmm. sure I, I think it's kind of interesting you know barnes and hornady kind of list their their numbers here a little bit differently from you know the the barnes loading here out of the um 350 legend you know has a 100 yard zero and then like i said that minus 10.1 inch drop at 200 the hornady kind of gives you that i guess that more long range look sure. so it's saying you know um plus 4.5 inches at 100 zero at two but then still 19.4 inches of drop at three so yeah. like you said ryan it, you know 200 yards is about that's optimal. about your optimal poking yeah. distance there sure so let's talk about performance though and you guys obviously you're shooting these into uh what gelatinous bricks what are those things uh yeah when you're doing the experiments what are those things called i can't permagel yep permagel Permagel. yep Uh it's about a hundred pound a hundred pound block uh of of what looks like feels like sounds like does not taste like (laughs) jello so right yeah we had to talk to ryan about not eating the the gel so i mean we're obviously doing that to try to understand if it was an animal what kind of performance are we getting and I don't know. I mean, obviously, Ryan, you said, oh, I, I kind of fell in love with the 350 Legend. I was surprised yeah. that this one performed better. But was it performing better uh, as far as just at distance, or also was there impact and per- penetration that were also like, mm, this one, this might be a better cartridge? So the wound, the wound channels, like, and that's the neat part about Permagel and, and a note on that stuff. And we say this quite a bit it's an imperfect medium, right? So mm-hmm. understand a white tailed deer or a mule deer or a pronghorn or an elk or a bear or whatever. They're not made of permagel. No. Right. So like you can take your finger and you can lean into it and push through permagel, right? I can't push through Mark and we can't push through a deer. Hide is extremely elastic and and actually quite tough, right? I mean, think about these animals living out, out of doors all year round and they're facing the elements and, you know, thorny stuff and barbed wire fences and stuff. They don't get all shredded up. Permagel doesn't have bones. No. And, and well, unless you put them in, you, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then you have like varying tissue density. So if you've ever, if you've ever done a fairly scheduled necropsy on a critter and you, you get into the different layers of muscle tissue and fascia and, and cartilage and, and linings and all this stuff, you, you encounter like 50 different variances in density as you move through this animal. Uh, permagel is consistent in, in and throughout. And so for it, for, I guess, intents and purposes, what we're, we're trying to do is keep something consistent so that when we fire into it, we get a, a decent example of what tissue would act like um, as best that we can without taking, uh, taking this outside and, and putting it through things with heartbeats. Well, and uh, although it, it's, it's consistent and it gives us 
an apples to apples comparison. Sure. Uh, yeah. If you were to obviously shoot at an animal, no shot yeah. angle is exact, exactly the same. You know, the bullet's not going to encounter exactly the same things. And so, like, although it's not the same look as what you might see, you know, on an actual game animal, it gives you that consistency to do, Com- a, do a fair compa- comparison. Yeah. Or at, le- yeah. at least have a some sort of solid data point. Yeah. In in looking at like the 350 specifically, I guess prior to firing rounds into the gelatin, my expectation was fairly anemic penetration, fairly anemic expansion, because it is it is a low velocity launch, um, and so thusly a lower velocity impact. I I guess I I kind of expected it to perform like pistol bullets do, which in general is pretty poor. Um, but it's got, I mean, that's a, but it's still a big bullet, right? It, it is, it is. Yeah. But it's not, it's not blazing fast. I mean, it's not, yeah. it's not conventional center fire fast. And, so and so interesting too, the, just the point that just because you're, you know, sending a bunch of grains down range doesn't mean you're going to get a lot of performance, but a lot of payout, you could be shooting something that's half the weight yeah. and get way better performance. Yeah, definitely. Um, what, what I was met with was actually exceptional wound channel characteristics and and not dissimilar from what we saw out of higher velocity cartridges and i i think when i took a step back from the test and started looking at at the the cartridge as it had passed through the gel and as we had shot it quite a bit i i had to remind myself of a couple things that i was curiously absent-minded on the cartridge the bullet was was designed to operate within those parameters and and that's a very important note. So you you could take, you could take a a, a thirty five like a three fifty eight caliber centerfire rifle, and I'm going to pick on one. I'm say thirty five Whelan, and I could put a, a handgun bullet in it, and I would have abysmal results. And then conversely, I could take the bullet designed for the thirty five Whelan, and I could put it in the handgun and encounter abysmal results. The folks at um, at Winchester and, and Barnes and Hornady and, and the other ammunition companies that are loading this ammunition obviously are very intelligent and capable engineers and ballisticians and things. And they're building the projectiles to function exactly as you would expect or hope to at the given velocity parameters that the cartridge will produce. And so what I saw was, was simply marvelous. Like it, it really did, um, I guess, step me back and say, hey, you shouldn't come to the table with preconceived notions based on say cartridge design. And, and part of it was when you hold a 350 legend in your hand, it, it is in essence a straight walled 223 Remington. It's not, and I want to make that distinction mm-hmm. very clear, but in essence it is. Mm-hmm. And and so it doesn't inspire a lot of awe because it is a small cartridge. And when you hold one next to a 30 M1 carbine case, they're not terribly dissimilar. Um, and so I, I guess I just didn't have high hopes and, and that was foolish of me because it did perform very admirably so much so that, you know, if I was going to go hunt in Indiana, or if I was going to go hunt in Iowa, or if I was going to hunt in Michigan, or if Minnesota ever decides to allow an intelligent cartridge choice, like straight walls into the slug zone, this would be at the, at the forefront of where I pick a cartridge from. And I'm not discrediting the 450 Bushmaster either. Um, you know, as somebody who hunts fairly routinely with a 4570, I'm well aware of what a large frontal area, some decent velocity and mass brings to the table from a terminal standpoint. And 
they function fantastic. I mean, if, if I've, I've killed a mule deer, a pronghorn, and a whitetail with a 4570. Never killed a pig with one yet, but uh, very dead, uh, it, it, excruciatingly and exceptionally dead. And so I, I'm also a big fan of this cartridge as well. However, between the two, that is a tough call because 350 it really spoke to me just how delightful it was to shoot. I mean, that uh, for me, it, it part of it comes down to that, or yeah. a big part of it. It's yeah. like I don't see it d- doing too much different. Right. I see myself getting a little bit more range out of it. Yeah. I think it's going to kill a whitetail just fine, and it's more gentle to shoot. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I was, I was well, more than impressed. I think that. that the fact that it is more gentle, I mean, that's going to increase accuracy, right? And it's definitely it's like mm-hmm. this inherent thing yep. that we do. Let's knock out our last break. We'll come back and maybe dive a little deeper on recoil. And then um, maybe we'll talk about some of our own personal experiences where bullets haven't performed like we thought they would. Uh, That segment of the show brought to you by Armasite and the 640 contractor. Here's the cool thing. Whether you get a 320 or a 640, and these are thermal rifle scopes, by the way. uh, The 640 is the best I've ever used. Most user-friendly, most options. uh, Bluetooth and uh, internal recording, all that stuff right there at your fingertips. Um, but in addition to all that, Armacide's offering a 10% rebate right now through the end of the year when you pick up a 320 or 640 contractor. So take advantage of that 10% savings at Armacide.com. We'll be right back on the Landstar Outdoors show. Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, a full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. God rest you, merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born upon this day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Cable Smith, welcome everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. We are still visiting with the boys from Vortex Optics here today. We'll get back into that conversation in just a second. This segment of the presentation, by the way, brought to you by NUMA Outdoors, the apparel that I wear and trust and believe in on all of my outdoor escapades. Uh, actually heading down to uh, Mexico for Coos Deer this next week. We'll be trying out some of their uh, products for the upcoming year. But you know what? They have such a stellar lineup. Um, you've heard me talk about things like the Pathfinder pant, the Alpha Vertex uh, pants and jacket, the Palisade Puffy, the Durango pullover, and many others. Do yourself a favor. Uh, head over to numaoutdoors.com. Use that promo code LONESTAR20 when you check out and save 20% off your entire order. Oh, and by the way, Numa has a lifetime warranty on all of their outdoor gear. Crazy, but they do it. All right, let's go ahead and get back into it with Mark and Ryan here. And, you know, we were talking about how the 350 Legend was just uh, a gym to shoot with very little recoil. I had the uh, the opposite experience with my 300 Win Mag the other day. I'll give you an example. I... uh on Saturday, 
I shot a beautiful 10-point buck. We were filming it for this TV show for Texas Trophy Hunters. And we went back and looked at the footage like right after I shot him because they were like, you hit him back. And I was like, I'm sitting in a deer blind. It wasn't a super difficult hunt, you know. Um, I was like, I'm pretty steady, guys. And I felt good about the shot. Well, he he runs off and they're like, you hit him back. Well, I get the 300 wind mag and I'm shooting a 180 grain bullet out of it. And I didn't have a rest the second time. And uh, I pulled the trigger and I felt myself flinch. Sure. I felt it. I no longer had a rest and I was I was almost like, I'm about to get scoped right here. Sure. You know, and I'm turning like this awkwardly in the blind now. Well, I didn't take the safety off on the second shot. So the gun didn't go off, but I, that's how I was like, whoa, you really just were expecting right. a yeah. thump and not having a rest. And, and, you know, I've shot it, I've shot freehanded before with it, but in the, in the heat of the moment after it, it just thumped me when I shot it, but I was steady and ready for it. Um, you know, th- that's why when something beats you up, it can, you know, you can make a bad shot. Well, and like you said, you know, at that point, you're like, okay, now I know I'm in an awkward position. Maybe I don't have the most perfect yeah. cheek weld. Maybe I don't have this, you know, the buttstock right in the pocket of my shoulder where I like to have it. So, you know, it's more liable to <laughs> maybe rock you in a, in yeah. a little bit different fashion. And, and that goes through your mind, you know, and it's, it's hard. It can be hard to ignore that. Right. I'm, I'm a big boy. And I was, I was almost afraid that I was about to get hit in the face with with my scope, which was a uh, Venom, by the way. You know, oh, nice. Uh, Very cool. Have you been hit in the face with a Venom? I haven't. I'd like to keep it that way. So, um, Yeah, I try not. But, you know, I did. I did. I got uh, I got bit by my uh, 300 Wisdom the yeah. other day, you know, yeah. on kind of a similar thing, follow-up shot, a little bit more free recoil. And, I, and uh, yeah, it got me a little bit. Ryan, going back to the 350 Legend, um, correct me if, my, if I'm wrong, but some people compare it performance wise in some ways to like a 30-30. Oh, definitely. So they Which I don't think anybody would argue no. the and, validity of that cartridge's ability to knock down a white-tailed deer. Yeah, no, not at all. It's I mean, ubiquitous big game cartridge and 30-30's been used to kill a lot bigger things than white-tailed sure. deer. Sure. Yeah, right? exactly. So, uh yeah, so a 30-30 your your functional loadings that you're going to get from most companies are going to be between 150 and 170 grains. And and usually mm-hmm. in the in the standard soft point, it's a 150 soft point or mm-hmm. a 170 soft point. Coincidentally, the 350 Legend lands right in that same ballpark. Mm. Um, and it's moving it at comparable velocity. And, and so, yeah, everything points to this should be as good as a, a 3030. The only thing you'd be giving up is a little bit of sectional density, um, which I think can be overcome with bullet construction. Um, you're going to give up a little bit of ballistic hole fish, but here again, we're looking at a 200 yard application. So do you even reap the benefit of having a, a BC figure that's higher? Um, and then you're, you're gaining frontal area, which I think is something that is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, frontal area of a projectile, just like, just like cutting diameter of a broadhead, right? You got to be careful how you get there, right? So it's neat to have like a, a two and a quarter inch cutting diameter on a broadhead, it's likely to be a mechanical at that juncture. Is it a reliable mechanical? Um, or if it's a fixed blade, it's going to be a difficult arrow to tune. Bullets sometimes fall into the same realm. Um, so, no, I mean, it, it is a cartridge that surprised the heck out of me. And uh, I, I, like I said, I had to eat my hat because I was sitting there writing it off before I even put one into the magazine mm. uh, and started shooting with it. And, and I... I am now tipping my hat that I took a nice bite out of uh, to that <laughs> to that little cartridge. 
Um, and I wasn't surprised though. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I still, like I said, I still think the four fifties, a, a, a great choice. I, in fact, last night I got a text from a friend of mine with the NDA uh, national deer association, and they're doing um, kind of a learn to hunt thing right now. And they're in a straight wall region and they're shooting four fifties and three fifties. And he remarked the same thing. He said, Hey, this three fifty surprised the heck out of me. And this guy's a shooter. Um, he's a loader. He's a shooter, um, amateur ballistician. Uh, he's hunted all over the world and, and is, is, you know, harvested a ton of meat. And he said the same thing about the 350. And I said, Hey, any and all, um, terminal research data that you can give me, I want to, I want to gobble it all up. So he was a big, uh, big proponent of, of the Barnes bullet loading specifically, um, finding that that was bringing quite a bit more lethality to the table, which is something I did expect, um, right off the bat anyhow. But, um, yeah, so they've been they've been knocking them down with both uh, on this hunt, and, and they're still hunting today. So I'm I'm hoping to hear more. Um, but he was also very pleasantly surprised in the performance that it brought. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is kind of on a different note, um, but because I think we've covered that you were pleasantly surprised with the mm -hmm. the 350, and mm -hmm. it is a, a viable uh, hunting round, and um, the 450 it has its limitations, but still effective as well. Um, but I wanted to go back to that deer that I shot because yeah. I ha two weeks ago I had another conversation about uh, cup and core mm -hmm. bullet construction versus bonded and mm -hmm. uh, copper, which a lot of times the bonded ones are copper. I know from our previous discussion, Ryan, you're you're a big proponent of copper, correct? Big time. Yeah, you love copper. I thought so. Yep. So I shot that that buck with a hundred eighty grain cup and core bullet construction broadside 110 yards and the bullet did not exit i would have thought that thing would have gone right through we gutted that deer and um when we went back and looked at the video i told you they were like you you gut shot it well i was like there's no way we got up there and there was a hole right behind right behind the shoulder entry sure. point what we saw was the the collapsing of the vitals sure. on the video Yep. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was like an optical illusion because it ended up being a great shot. He ran over this berm and he died 20, 20 yards before I shot him. Yep. Um, but when we did the, the hung him up and gutted him and everything, dude, his insides were completely eviscerated. Sure. So, but I didn't get an X. I thought I would have, I thought the bullet would have gone straight through, but it went in there and it just destroyed everything in the body cavity, which was kind of surprising to me with, it was a 172 pound white tailed deer. Sure. Yeah. But, so the higher you, push your velocity the faster that bullet's gonna slow down mm -hmm. uh with respect to like travel and, and understand like think about a car crash right so you you bump into something going five miles an hour you got a crack in your bumper you hit something going 45 miles an hour you you know you're going best case scenario to the auto body shop for a couple of weeks uh possibly looking at a new vehicle bullets not unlike that right the faster you push it the more apt it is to um delaminate come apart explode I don't want to inspire incendiary like explosion, but like just fracture fragment mm -hmm. and pop. Um, so at 110 yards, you're still hitting that thing with, a, you know, 75% of what your launch velocity likely was. And the expectation should be that you're going to have massive trauma, both to animal and projectile, you know. Ryan, it, is this at all like a fair analogy? Like I can step into a pool yeah. and I just go right in the water. Yeah. hundred percent. If I fall out of a building into a pool, yeah. it's going to be like hitting concrete a and, I, and I stop. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, and cable, I've seen both things that you talked about there 
most of the bullets that I've recovered have been at about that 100, 130, 150 yard yep. or in mm -hmm. uh, mark. Um, and then also the few video uh, critters that I've shot on video, there has been a handful of times when you're like, oh gosh, I hit that deer back. Yeah. And then you get up there, like, like you said, no, it's tucked behind the shoulder, but you see, at least in, from what I've seen, that hide really ripples. Right. And what sort of you like. actually get to see, you don't see the actual impact. You see that wave about midway back on the animal and the hide. You go, oh my gosh, that's the impact. That's where I hit that thing. How did I yeah. do that? And it's just not what happened, but that, it's, what, it's what it looks like happened. Sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was definitely tricking all of our eyes when we watched it on film. And, yeah. Uh, but the guy whose ranch it was, I mean, they sell hunts there and he was like, you hit it with a 300 wind mag, it's dead, even sure. if you shot it in the guts. But I was like, yeah, but but I don't want to shoot it in the guts, right? Like, right. Like, to me, like, like, I take pride in, have I shot animals in the guts? Yes, we all have made bad shots. But I was like, this was a chip shot. Sure. And I was like, it's not okay, you know? And we're, and we're filming it. So I was like, so it was like, I was like relieved, but also I knew well, in my you, mind, you, I was like, I didn't make a bad shot. Yeah, particularly when you're like, no, that everything about that was right. Then you're like, well, gosh, did, is something is did my is my system off in some way? Or you start to you start to question, you know, yeah. question things, and then that's you know nowhere where a person wants oh, to be mentally. Well, if the you know, gun would have gone off because they they were just, like even with the naked eye, he was like, I think you hit him far too far back, and and then I probably would have scoped myself, thinking I got to put, I'm trying to, well, I can still see him, get another one in him, you know, just right. <laughs> Yeah, and I, you know, I wouldn't look at that as a bullet failure. You know, no. the, the expectation was because it's a high caliber center fire, it's going to pop out the other side. Some bullets just aren't designed to do that. You know, mm -hmm. some some are designed for rapid destabilization upon impact to target and and you know delamination coming apart. Um, and in the right context, it's there's nothing more lethal than you know detonating hand grenade inside of a, a chest cavity, so right. to speak. Right. Um, well, I think you just look at the results. How far did yeah. the animal go? Yep. Did it suffer? No, it was literally right. dead, dead on his feet. It was man. disappearing yeah. over that berm that was 20 yards from where I shot him. You know, and I, I've just gotten particular about copper for a number of different reasons. And, and it really comes down to I don't always have that 110-yard broadside shot. Right. Um, so, And I would say more often than not, it, it, it's not an expectation, right? And especially if you do a lot of hunting in a lot of different places, um, for me, predominantly the majority of my big game hunting is done in the West where, you know, long spot and stock applications were in the case of my wife, uh, you know, pronghorn this year, 58 whole yards, but, <laughs> um, you, you don't always have that. And, and for me, like that's, that's my trip for the year. That might be the critter that I see for the year. Uh, and if I have a quartering away or a quartering to, or a less than optimal shot, I'm looking for a projectile that I can take and place somewhere that will get to the right spot. And that's what's kind of fueled my, my interest and, and satisfaction and, and uh, I guess a review for bullets like the Barnes design because they are renowned and notorious for being able to do that. And mm -hmm. to this day, I, I sit and I think about this probably more than I think about finances and what I'm going to have for lunch the next day <laughs> is what projectile has, has been the most reliable for me. I'm, I'm becoming obsessed with terminal performance um, out of, out of any application, regardless of caliber, it doesn't really matter. 
Uh, and, and in audit, I come back time and again to the Barnes projectiles. Mm-hmm. Which, what's really interesting for me is I hunt with a slew of people um, and everybody's got kind of their own preference in projectile design. And so I'm fortunate that I get to do a lot of infield necropsies of, of various game animals. And I get to see what a, a given caliber with a, a given projectile design at a given weight, at a given distance and a given shot angle, what kind of result that produces, assuming that shooter was, was on point that day. Um, and I, I apply that to what I've observed personally from stuff that I've shot. And I'm, I'm still coming back to that copper projectile as my choice. Now I'm, I'm spectacularly cognizant of its limitations, uh, you know, in, in what they can do and what they can't do. And I think that's, that's something that I'm seeing more and more these days is, is folks maybe not understanding that a bullet like a Barnes TTSX or an LRX is not a bullet that you might attempt a 700 yard shot at an elk with, um, out of a, of, out of a rifle that's not in a Magnum class. It's not going to be putting that projectile on target at like 1800 feet per second. That's not what they're designed to do. And you're likely to encounter, I guess, a bad experience. If -hmm. you're hitting that, that critter, that target with a, a projectile like the Barnes outside of its operating window. Um, just as I would, say to somebody who's shooting a, a bullet like the Hornady ELDX and, you know, in, in a state of dismay that they've got, you know, maybe eight or 10 inches of penetration before they recover the back half of the bullet um, on, on a small deer pronghorn or something at a hundred yards. And they're firing it out of a high caliber Magnum class cartridge. That bullet was designed to work very well um, at long distances with low velocity impacts if we shorten that distance up that we're engaging that target and, and we happen to hit structure like a shoulder blade or, or a rib cage or something like that, my expectation is not that that bullet maintains great uniformity, has 75% weight retention or better, passes through and exits out the other side of the animal. My, my expectation is that bullet's probably going to turn everything from the entrance to the midway point into, um, you know, pink mist on the mm-hmm. inside. And, at the end of the day, like it's still a dead critter, like you recovered your animal very quickly after you shot it, you made an exceptional shot. I, I guess I wouldn't, my expectation wouldn't be that that bullet would perform like a Barnes or would perform like a, a bullet, like an interlock or an inner bond or a, a you know, an Oswayaki bond or something like that. Right. I, th- I think, you know, part of it is just knowing how your bullet is yeah. designed to operate yeah. and then, you know, having the right expectations. Sure. And then at the end of the day, like you said, Ryan, if, you know, dead is dead. Yes. Like the end, the end, the end result is what's important. Important. Exactly. Exactly. Mark. But I do wonder what percent, and that's why, you know, we have subject matter experts on to discuss these things so we can learn, educate ourselves. I wonder what percent of just the average deer hunter really knows what his bullet's going to do when it goes into that animal, when he makes what he thinks is a good shot. Does he, does he really know that what the outcome is going to be? And I would say probably more, then you would think, don't know. I'd agree with that. You know, and it's an interesting thing. Since we I started six, doing five Creedmoor, here's some six five Creedmoor on the yep. shelf. It's five dollars cheaper than that one, so boom, sold. You know, yep. and and that's nothing new. You know, right. I think that's that's been the the test. Hunting's time. expensive, right? It so, is. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that's the catch twenty two. Like, <laughs> I think we, and I'm guilty of it. Like, but yeah. as I get older and I gain experience and knowledge, I'm I'm trying to focus more on what bullet for what application. Yeah. 
uh, what expected distance. And my friend, John McAdams, who I had on, like I was told you, uh, telling you a couple of weeks ago, he's a huge fan of all of the Barnes copper stuff, just mm-hmm. like you're saying, like, and so I'm like, this is two guys that whose opinions I respect. Maybe I should be looking at, uh, I've never shot copper. So sure. I'm intrigued by it though. You know, since we started doing cartridge talks specifically, and I think our podcast, we talk about a lot of stuff. We, mm-hmm. it's, it's actually, it's kind of funny. It's infrequent that we talk about optics, but <laughs> um, <laughs> since we started cartridge talks, I've, I've gotten a lot of um, unsolicited, but very welcomed feedback from, from listeners. And something that I, I find very interesting is I've, I've heard from somebody who's used somebody's bullet and you pick the bullet manufacturer and they've they've i've gotten both ends of of the spectrum here i've gotten this is in fact unquestionably the best bullet ever created to i will never ever ever fire this and i've heard it about every single bullet manufacturer and so there's a lot of experiences that people have had out there and try to unpack what happened in this specific instance scenario um, or time and place you know what was the shot what was the condition of the animal what was the angle what was the distance etc etc and it, it's a, it's a fascinating thing to have to have heard so much polarity out of out of us the hunting um, consumer base you know well and there's there's so many variables at oh, play yes. that when you're looking at each one of these scenarios yeah. like you take one like uh, one of these I'll never use that again it's yeah. like well what 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 what, what was the problem yeah, for me what, that was a core locked and I think I've I've walked back that stance and I was very young in my hunting career and had sure. that experience. I was like, I'm never doing that again, you know? Sure. But and, I don't think it was the bullet's fault. You know, I had shot an animal in the neck at a at pretty close range, and okay. it's just zipped right through there. And uh, I was, you know, I was probably just operator error. Maybe I didn't make the best shot. Sure. Maybe I didn't hit, because if I would have hit the bone, I, you know, I probably just hit muscle. Because we got mm-hmm. it the next day, and it was not dead, and I lost sure. it. But, I, but what I was expecting was, like, this huge impact and, you know, blow a hole through his neck and yep. unrealistic expectations. Yeah. And, and that I think is exactly what it is and, and where we were trained to think otherwise. Um, I, I mean, I've, I've, the whole reason I got into metallic cartridge reloading is because I shot a white tail doe with the wrong bullet. I'm not going to say in the wrong caliber, but the wrong bullet for the caliber that I used in a place that I shouldn't have been shooting it. And it was a high shoulder shot. Um, and it was a bullet that was designed for immediate expansion, uh, for, for that proverbial grenade Mm -hmm. on the inside. Um, I hit the scapular ridge and that bullet, I got lucky and a piece of jacket had gotten into the body cavity and collapsed along. Mm -hmm. And that, like, that was the deciding factor between, uh, like a cratering flap injury on the, on the shoulder Mm -hmm. of this, not that big white tail doe, uh, and her running off to die a horrible gangrenous death or me recovering that animal. But from that point forward, I said, okay, that shot, it wasn't atypical. Like that could happen, you know? I mean, um, you, you think a high shoulder with a center fire rifle would just is crunch just them. lightning. Yeah. So Mark, Mark was with me. Um, the, I've lost one deer uh, while hunting in my career as a not recovered. Mark was with me at the shot. And I think it was 230. About 230. Yep. Yep. Um, with a 50 caliber muzzleloader with a load that Mark and I both have and use interchangeably in our muzzleloaders, have shot to 200 yards. It shoots famously. That was a 350 grain projectile. I hit that deer high ish, shoulder ish area. Um, and it was 
like 28 below with the wind chill that night. And we bumped that deer the next morning. And mm. four hours later, he was off the property running across the field with his flag up. Mm. And you would have thought that you couldn't have had a better recipe for success. A 50 caliber, half inch diameter piece of lead that weighed 350 grains hitting him like a freight train would have just completely ended it all. And uh, I didn't sleep that night. Mm-hmm. So, that, you know, expectations are one thing. Reality is another. That bullet never even passed through that animal. Um, I only had blood on one side. And uh, he folded like a $5 tent at the shot, recovered, got up, and moved off. And uh, we found him the next morning and bumped him and bumped him and bumped him and never saw him again. Well, it's not a matter of uh, if. It's a matter of when. If you do yep. it enough, you're going to yep. lose something. And that's the ugly truth about what we love, right? Sure. But uh, it is what it, it is what it is. I would just encourage folks to, you know, as you progress in your hunting career, pay more attention yeah. to what you're actually, you know, when you're looking through your scope, what, what, what am I really doing here? What do you, yeah. what do I expect this outcome to be? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And you know, if you just go buy it off the shelf, I, I, we've all done it. We did it when we started, started out in this game. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that too. But uh, if you can, you know, uh, hunting's expensive. Like I said, and, and, and leases are expensive and tags are expensive and tree stands, all of it adds up. So yeah. You know, if you're skimping on the, the thing that's actually killing the animal, that's probably not the right thing to uh, just try to save a buck on. So. Well, there's that. And, and even if you are doing some research, you know, you might fall into a bunch of, you know, information where it says, oh, this bullet is the best. And you can, you know, you're going to shoot a deer at six, 700 yards, no problem. It's phenomenal performance. Okay. And, and it might be, but you need to walk that back and go, that's great if I want to shoot that bullet. Uh, and I've shot bullets like that before, but it might not be the bullet that you want to hold on the point of the shoulder on a quartering two shot. You might want to wait for a different shot when, uh, you know, even at distance or if that, you know, critters, you know, hundred, 200 yards or you're in the timber, it's like, well, wait, you know, just be cognizant of your bullet construction, velocity thresholds for expansion. Mm -hmm. Like Ryan mentioned before, um, on and the high end as well as the low end. On the high right? end and the low end, yeah. And and a little study of anatomy goes a long ways. And and that's where I mentioned earlier I'm getting kind of obsessed with terminal performance is more the anatomy and physiology of the things that I'm chasing. Because truth be told, like I hate killing things. It's a weird, it's a weird dichotomy to be in. Um, I'm I'm crazy about hunting. It's all I think about. Uh, it's why I have a job in this industry, <laughs> uh, just to kind of perpetuate the addiction, so to speak. But the the understanding further anatomy physiology and how or why things die um when we shoot them or when we stab them with arrows um that has that has paid me a lot of dividends and you know it doesn't take a whole heck of a lot to see some pretty good um anatomical diagrams or or uh you know where where somebody's taking the time to to take an animal part layer by layer and and start pointing out things that you know hip bones connected to the leg bone kind of thing um, right. and you can learn a lot about what you're looking at through your scope when they're covered with a, a, a monochromatic hide you don't get to see a lot of feature you don't get to see a lot of definition of the of the animal and where that bullet might be going we have a preconceived notion right but mm-hmm. you know you think about the thoracic cavity of a whitetail it's big you know it's, it's probably 24 inches from front to back and it's probably 16 18 inches tall Yes, somewhere in there is somewhere good to go, but maybe somewhere in there is an even better place to go and somewhere else might leave you tracking into the late evening. Mm. Um, 
So inches matter in that game. Um, that comes you know, back. They say to sh- the six five shooters are the best trackers. <laughs> and you know what's interesting? I was I was waiting for it when you said you shot that deer or that antelope with a six five. I was like, oh, here comes Cable, yeah. and he's just it's just been simmering. It's been simmering this entire time. Here's here's what I'll say about that. I think that there's a cartridge that has changed the American shooting landscape, and I I think is responsible for getting more people behind a gun in the past decade is the six five Creedmoor. Yeah. I'd argue. Um, the, the only thing it, the only thing that would contend with it is 22 long rifle, um, because it's such an accessible cartridge. It's such a fun cartridge to shoot. And it's so spectacularly versatile with that though, comes, a, an, an unhinging of expectation reality. Cause like you said earlier, cable, you go to the gun shop, you pick up a whiz bang six, five Creedmoor and conveniently for us, the American consumer, they range in price from $299 to $2,999. And you're probably getting a pretty darn good gun anywhere in that pocket. You go over to the wall and it's just ammunition and a dizzying amount of ammunition. And a lot of that stuff is marketed towards the long range target community because that's where that cartridge cut its teeth. That was its design implementation, right? It was long range target. And they're not necessarily appropriate bullets for hunting and killing. And th- there's not a lot of discussion about that part of it what i will say about that round and it is a round that i hunt often and regular is the the cartridge that i can shoot the most often the cartridge that i am most comfortable with the cartridge that i am most trusting of from this thing isn't going to punch me in the teeth or in the wallet is one that i can be wildly effective with Hmm. and if i marry that that efficacy um on the range with a, a fantastic terminal performance uh, like projectile, and I'm, I'll pick on the barns again. I shoot a lot of those. Um, I've got a fantastic recipe for success. I used to, in my youth, uh, or my younger years, I'm not that old a person, I guess, but I used to put a ton of precedence on horsepower because I thought I could do no wrong. Um, so my first full-blown custom gun was a 300 Weatherby because they don't make them bigger than that. Mm-hmm. And it was a harder gun to shoot. It was a harder gun to control. It was a harder gun to trust um, that it wasn't going to punch me in the face. And when I look at the number of animals that required the second or third shot or the shots that I missed because I didn't trust my ability with the gun way more in the 300 Weatherby camp than in the six, five Creedmoor camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying the six, five Creedmoor is a deadlier cartridge than 300 Weatherby. No. I'm saying I, I drive that race car much, much, much better than I do um, the 300 Weatherby and, and I would have a higher propensity of putting the Weatherby into the wall, so to speak, uh, than I would the Creedmoor. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so as long as the, the checklist of things is I can control it, I can afford it. And I have picked a viable terminal solution from a projectile standpoint, as long as all those things are, are checked, it is a really good tool. Um, take a misstep on the, on the terminal package part of it. And, that can lead to less than stellar results. Or maybe, you know, I mean, we were just talking about this the other day, though. Yeah. It's also not a cartridge, and I think sometimes it gets this reputation oh, yeah. where it's just made out of unicorn dust and it's absolute magic. Well, <laughs> And, it, and it, is, is, it is in a lot of ways, but it, like many things, like all these things, yeah. it has its limitations. Sure. And, and I think that comes from shooters who go pick up a budget-minded rifle, budget target ammunition, a budget optic, they go to the range and they're like, I've never shot a thousand yards. They go grab an advanced ballistics calculator on a free download 
they zip their turret out there and they smack that steel plate. They go, holy smokes. Let's kill an elk. I'm unstoppable. <laughs> I, I think that's where a lot of that comes from. I do too. Yeah, man. And and it's it's you know, it's tough position to be in. It hits steel like you wouldn't believe. That doesn't necessarily mean that it goes through hide, bone, fascia, muscle tissue, et cetera, et cetera, into the good stuff. Um so it, it, it doesn't mean that it won't either. That's yeah, correct. Just at, yeah. yeah. Within its yeah. Realm of performance. I appreciate it. I I uh we could talk about this all day. It yeah, was, it's true. We will again <laughs> soon, but for today we are flat out of time. I appreciate it immensely, as always. I yeah. encourage folks to check out Cartridge Talks, of course, the Vortex Nation podcast as well. Everything on YouTube, and then you know wherever you can, uh, wherever you download your your podcast. In addition, thanks for all you guys do over at Vortex, making incredible optics with the best warranty in the industry. You bet. Awesome. Appreciate it, Cable. Always fun. Thanks, man. All right, gentlemen. So there they go. Our old friends, Mark Boardman and Ryan Muckenhern of Vortex Optics. Uh, always great catching up with them. Uh, that segment of the show was brought to you by StealthCam and the Deceptor wireless cellular camera. Here's the cool thing. Uh, if you're looking for something that's really going to shine in nighttime settings, this is the camera for you. The No Glow technology offers the best nighttime images that you will find. Of course, the daytime images are great too, uh, but it really separates itself under the cover of darkness and data plans are as cheap as $5 a month. You can find it at stealthcam.com. Unfortunately, we are, we are out of time. Got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to Ryan and Mark. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith wishing you and yours a Merry Christmas and an even better week in the great outdoors. And my boots are brown I stand for passion And I stand my ground Ain't nothing gonna hold me down With $50 and a flask of crown